Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Roisin. And welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. This podcast is all about how improving your physical fitness can help support you on your very own fertility journey. I'm a personal trainer who specializes in training women with fertility problems. I myself have PCOS and have had two beautiful boys, and I'm on a mission to help you do the same. Before we get into it, we will be discussing adult themes such as where do babies come from, pregnancy loss and bereavement. We may also be sweary from time to time. We are optimistic, lighthearted girls, but we know this is a really stressful time for some of our listeners. We respect that. As you may know, the Fertility Show Live is coming to London May 20th and May 21st, and we are delighted to be working with them. In the coming weeks, we will be interviewing some of the Fertility Show ambassadors. And for today's show, we sat down with Tia Brown to hear all about her incredible fertility journey. And if you're interested in donor egg conception, this one's for you. So welcome, Tia. Welcome to the Fitness Fertility Podcast. Would you mind starting just by telling us a little bit about yourself and your fertility story? Yeah, of course. It all started when I was 29. Me and Lee got married. We always knew that we wanted to start trying to conceive um, as soon as we were married. Um, And I've been on contraception since I was probably 16. And yeah, we started trying to conceive naturally. The months went by, nothing was happening. And originally, we just started trying like naturally. And we were very, very naive. I didn't really know much about it. I wasn't as naive as say Lee. I knew that obviously it wasn't just going to happen like straight away. Because um, Lee was like, oh, it's like going to happen the first month. I was like, no, it's really not that easy. Nothing was happening. And as you do, you start Googling everything. So then we started doing some like, ovulation tests at home. It wasn't ever showing up a positive ovulation. And I still didn't really think anything about, about it. But obviously it was starting to really get to us. When it got to around 18 months, we went to our GP but as you know, obviously in the UK, they won't do anything until you've been trying for two years. But we did have quite a good GP in the sense she said that she would test Lee's sperm. And I was convinced, probably not very nice of me to think this way, but in my head, or as far as I knew, I was as fit as a fiddle, had nothing wrong with me. Whereas Lee has got rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, different things like that. And I thought, well, it must be him. It can't be me. I've got nothing wrong with me. And his sperm come back like way above average, like amazing. So I was like, oh, brilliant. So I was waiting for my blood results at the time. I rang the GP to obviously chase them. And it was just the receptionist. And she just said, oh, it just says like no chance, like of conceiving, like along those lines. I was like, okay, is anyone going to ring me? She said, oh, no. I was like, okay, like what? what does this mean? So then I rang back, got an appointment and let's do some more bloods sometimes this can just happen you just got to be patient and I thought there must be something going wrong anyway still it's come back exactly the same the month after and but obviously they don't test like say like your AMH or things like that at the GP so they don't really have a clear indicator but they still told me I had to wait another six months to get referred obviously as you know it's hell anyway when obviously you've been trying for 18 months and have a negative test every single month because obviously you sit there and like you might be a day late for your period you rush to go and get a pregnancy test so obviously there's a lot of emotion and trauma around that every single month with the unknown let alone obviously knowing there's a problem but you don't know what it is so we did go and see someone private and that's when we got the news um and still we went into that appointment like very naively obviously went looked through my blood and then they did a scan and that's when they saw that 
one of my ovaries wasn't active and the other one was very slightly active. So I only had, I think, two follicles on one side and none on the other. And at this point, I, I didn't have a clue what that even meant. I didn't know all the technical terms and things. Yeah. We were told there and then that I had a extremely low AMH. You can tell from the follicle counts, but they'll still do a blood to see how bad it is. But she did tell me at this point that I would need IVF and we would need to start immediately for any possibility of having the chance of conceiving with my own eggs. Now that you're looking back, were there any indications at all? At the time, they didn't tell me about premature ovarian insufficiency. That was something I got diagnosed with after. Now, I know I had all the symptoms of perimenopause. The only thing I didn't have, and I still never have had to this day, really, maybe the odd few, was hot flushes. And that's the symptom that everyone obviously talks about. Um, And because I didn't have that symptom, I never thought like anything of it. And I was still having slight periods, Mm -hmm. but it was literally just spotting. But I'd had Mm. that for years. I just thought that was normal. This is where Roshan and I get really kind of passionate about this and to do with the education around it, because you've done nothing wrong here. As far as you were concerned, you're having a period, you don't get taught anything different. This is why we feel so strongly that people need to talk about it more. There needs to be more education around this, just so that if there are any issues, you know, people can actually pick up on it and be aware. If there's going to be fertility issues, we want to know as soon as possible for obvious reasons. Yeah, no, definitely. When you first started to find out that it was you rather than Lee, and then when they were talking about how you had to jump straight into IVF, can you remember how you felt kind of emotionally at the time? I'm one of those people of like, I shut down my feelings, like, get on with it, we've got to do it, that's it. Lee would have waited to start IVF, he needs to process things. And obviously he supported me and we did go for it straight away, like, it wasn't really a choice. So yeah, I was just in the state of where I just need to get on with it. I was very Mm. naive. I was never told that there is a huge possibility, especially with my condition, that you won't ever have anything to transfer. Mm. But that wasn't anything that was ever mentioned to me. It sounds like there's been so many missed opportunities to offer you support here. Because even just when you were talking about getting the results through the NHS and no one phoned you, they'd written the equivalent of kind of no chance (laughs) on your notes, but no one phoned you. I am really shocked and upset that that happened. Because that's a massive deal to someone. And it just seems like there were lots of different points on this initial part of your journey where support should have been offered to you and it just didn't come. I know if I would have went to the GP, if I knew my symptoms, for example, that I had pinpointed them Mm -hmm. and I had went to the GP and told them the symptoms that I had, they would have Mm -hmm. just told me I'm too young. Yeah. You're not never too young for anything. Anyone can have anything, unfortunately, at any age. There's a lot to get our heads around. We did try IVF with my um, own eggs to begin with. So we started our first round in 2019, in the December, so the egg collection was in the January. Um, So they did collect Mm -hmm. eggs, but we didn't have any embryos, so we had nothing to transfer, and that hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm -hmm. I had convinced myself that the first transfer wasn't going to be successful, but I would have embryos in the freezer. Um, I never, ever thought that that wasn't a thing. Were you ever told that it would be possible to not even get to the point where you have embryos? No. If I did know, obviously it would still be heartbreaking, but it wouldn't have been such a shock. Yeah. Because obviously my hormone levels were so low anyway. I was pumped with a high level of stims and then Mm. suddenly stopping all meds. I had like a withdrawal. I was mentally really 
ill and really, really struggling. After that round, I was like hallucinating. I didn't sleep for days. Wow. Yeah, I was like in a complete absolute state. And but no one told me that like, that effect of coming off it can do to you. Like you said, a lot of things, and I think everyone seems to experience it. They don't get told like side effects of any of the sages or outcomes you may get or may not get. Yeah. So basically, those eggs did fertilize. Um, they slowed down at day two and then completely stopped on day three. Mm. But they rang me on day three and told me they would keep watching them. And obviously, I was oblivious. I didn't really know what that meant. So because they said they would keep watching them, obviously, that gives you hope. Um, And I went to work on the morning of the transfer, took my bag with me to go to transfer. And Lee was meeting me at the clinic and my phone rang. I went to the toilet, took the call and it was the clinic. And they told me it didn't continue after day three. So you've got nothing to transfer. And I always remember oh. walking out of cellar and I was like, good luck. And I was like, thank you. Pretended I was still going. Oh. Yeah, and that was really, really hard that I did hit both of us. Like a ton of bricks. We speak to so many women who, similar to you, they're doing the jobs and they just have to put on this brave face. They get a phone yeah. call like you've just had, which is awful. It's just absolutely devastating. You went through this horrendous process. How did you get to the point of egg donor conception? So we did do another round and exactly the same happened mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Then we moved clinics. So I was told after the first round, we would need to look at egg donor. I wasn't ready. And then after the second round, I thought, right, Bob's was obviously told again. And then I was like, mm. no, I just need to try somewhere else. And I found a clinic that specializes in my condition. So I thought, brilliant. So that was in London and we live in Bristol. Um, so we drove up to London for treatment and my ovaries completely shut down. And they didn't respond to treatment oh. at all. So that's when I knew like that was it. And in some ways, that was probably the worst round. Because um, obviously we're up in London, we had to drive home. It was literally like someone had just died. Oh. It was the most horrendous drive home. We didn't speak really the whole way. We cried a lot on the way. It was like a two and a half hour journey. In some ways, it was closure. I am kind of glad the journey with my own eggs ended how it did. Because there's never a what if. Yeah, and then we discussed obviously our options regarding adoption or egg donor conception or obviously just live a life as the two of us and we knew we didn't want to just live as the two of us we knew we wanted to be parents and I wanted to hopefully have the opportunity to carry and I didn't want Lee to feel the pain and grief that I felt of losing my genetics and obviously if we adopted obviously he would have that same grief so that's why we opted for egg donor out of the options we had. How did you go about the egg donor process then? How did that work? So we did have treatment abroad, many different factors. Financially, all our rounds were privately funded. Because of my diagnosis, I wasn't eligible for any NHS funding. Um, So your AMA just got to be over a certain level, um, five I think it is, to be able to have NHS funding. And obviously anyone with my condition is going to be way below that. Um, so everything was privately funded, so obviously running out of money, treatment abroad obviously is a lot more financially feasible, so it's still very expensive, but it's more accessible. And we just wanted a fresh start as well, clinic in Greece we went with. And how do you get to the point of choosing an egg donor? Do you make the choice yourself? Is it similar to having a sperm donor? No. How does that process work? Obviously each country is different, but in Greece you send over your profile They've obviously got their own bank, do vet all their donors individually, their self, and they match you. 
from your physical characteristics. So you send photos and information about yourself. And yeah, they match you to someone and then they send you across the profile of the person. It's not a photo, there is only like written description. So like physical characteristics, job, education, if they've got children or not. So yeah, and then you can make a decision whether they're for you or not. So you've made the choice, you've picked your donor. What then happens? You just get a profile of this one person you've matched with. But you do have the opportunity to say no if you don't feel that they're a match. Before I got matched to the donor, we had flew out to Greece for Lee to give his sample and for us to meet the clinic and they get to know me a bit more personally before they match me to someone. So we did do that first. Once the donor gets her next cycle, she started treatment. And then she went through, obviously, all her treatment. They fertilised, obviously, her eggs with Lee's sperm. And then they froze the eggs again, the embryo, shall I say. And then me and Lee went over for the transfer um, a couple of months after. How did you feel emotionally when this process was going on, where you know that Lee's sperm is being matched essentially with the donor's eggs? Like, how did you feel about that? I really struggled. Obviously, it's not cheated at all, but in your head, it feels like that. And to know that something we couldn't do together, he could do with someone else. Obviously, it's not him physically because obviously he's never met her but it's like your mind plays game with you and it's like a cheating thing but it's not no absolutely not and I really appreciate you sharing this because I know lots of people will be going through this situation and they will just want to know what is it actually like how does it actually feel from the beginning of your journey you have not been told so many really crucial important things and these are things that people should be told before they go through this process so we're really grateful that you're sharing honestly exactly how you felt at the time What then happens? Do you have to go back to Greece? Yeah, so we went back to Greece and we did go out for 10 days. So all the scans and everything were done in England. And for when they were checking the lining of my uterus, that was all done back home. And then you head over. And we went for 10 days, I think it was, because we knew within that time, at some point, we'd be having the transfer. But actually worked out that we had the transfer the day after we arrived. It was quite nice that we had all the time after to just try and obviously in the two-week week try and relax and we did get to go back to the clinic to obviously have our tests and things and for test days it's quite nice that we could do everything over there. For those of us that don't know your story how was the day? I did actually do a pregnancy test before the clinic kept telling Lee do not let her do one Um, I just (laughs) couldn't wait anymore. Obviously never ever had a transfer never had a positive pregnancy test I wanted to be able to find out myself not someone else to tell me so we did do a pregnancy test and we both felt nothing we didn't feel how we thought we'd feel and we thought we'd obviously feel ecstatic waited years as we fought really hard for it but time we just felt we was very numb really appreciate you sharing that because what I was going to ask you was how did it feel when you got the positive on the pregnancy test that's the dream that people have you've been through yeah so much difficulty getting to this phase But I think one of the things infertility robs you of is that kind of joy, like at all stages of the process. It it robs you even of the joy of seeing your first positive on a pregnancy test. Yeah, definitely. I think you're just terrified, aren't you, once you've been through infertility and and you're used to getting bad news. I think you probably protect yourself. We were very blessed. Our donor did amazing. So she had 15 eggs collected and 10 all made it to day five top grade embryos. I thought, well, if I transfer two, hopefully one will stay around, surely. Babe took and we got told that from our first bloods because the levels were so high. We were expecting twins. 
And I have to ask the question, how did that feel? We're ecstatic. We knew obviously there was going to be a possibility, but we just never thought it would be our reality. But yeah, we were over the moon. We were blessed, obviously, with a boy and a girl. And they are absolutely beautiful. We will give all the links to your socials. I've been following you on Instagram for a long time now, and your children are absolutely beautiful. And some of the things you put on Instagram, and when they're playing together, I think you posted something recently about them playing together, and my heart, I think I watched it about five times. They were just so beautiful. I just wanted to then ask, you know, you've had a really difficult time getting there. You've got your pregnancy. You give birth. If this was a fairy tale, everything would be great. Would you mind just telling yeah. us what happened then? Yeah, so it was pretty smooth pregnancy. Like, there's a few different like little bits, but I did have like an overnight stay and I'm in hospital and things like that. But it was nothing that I thought was serious. And I always wanted a vaginal birth. Personally, how I felt was that there were so many other people involved in their conception. I just felt that I needed to bring them into the world and I wanted to do something. I just really thought it would help with our bond, etc. With twins, obviously, that can be complicated anyway. But my consultant was really good. She was supporting me. But she said, as long as they're both head down, which they weren't, they were both breech. Um, so I had to have a plan C-section. That's going to be a wild process because it wasn't what I wanted. But I got my head around it, planned what I thought would be the perfect, most beautiful C-section. So we had, like, obviously, all our music planned. You wanted the drapes dropped. We had all that planned and that all went out the window. When they opened me up, they had found a undiagnosed placenta creta, which is where the placenta grows in through your uterus and it can attach to your organs surrounding your womb. I don't think they realised how bad it was at the time of delivery. I can't remember anything from the delivery at all, except for when they had took myelite, which is twin one. Obviously, they were meant to drop the drapes, so obviously I could meet them and they were meant to bring them straight over once they've obviously checked them. And I said to them, I'm sure I can see something, the other side of the screen, a shadow. Can you ask what's going on? So I was panicked, thinking there was something wrong with her. And they said, no, it's you. And after that, I can't remember anything. But I lost five litres of blood and had to have emergency surgery whilst in there to obviously stop the bleed. Um, and they thought they were going to have to do a hysterectomy there and then because they were struggling to stop the bleed. But they did manage to stop the bleed. I don't think they realised still what was going on at this point. I was bed bound. Lee was also staying with me in hospital, which I'm very um, lucky that he was able to because obviously I couldn't look after Malayal and Kauai. I got discharged and a couple of days after I was discharged, I hemorrhaged again. They scanned me and... The placenta was still deeply embedded, so I had to have emergency surgery. But because I had hemorrhaged a week before, it was really risky. Potentially, it could happen again. They had to be very careful. They knew in that surgery that they didn't get it all. They wanted to monitor me closely. Anyway, I was back in hospital every single week, sometimes a couple of times a week, with infection after infection, because obviously the placenta was still deeply embedded. Then I was also diagnosed with kidney failure, but they're not 100% sure why it was. They think it was due to obviously the amount of blood I lost and also infections my body was obviously having trying to fight. Um, and in this time, obviously, I'd waited absolutely years for malign quiet and I couldn't actually look after them. Lee had to care for me as well as them. So obviously my parents had to help, but malign and quiet, bless them. I'm sure it's probably why they are very content children because they were in that obviously with me. So I'm just got used to being dragged about everywhere. So then I had to have another operation, a third one, in the hope to still save my womb and obviously remove the placenta that was still obviously deeply embedded. 
they told me when I come around from surgery that they're 99.9% sure that it was all removed. Um, so I felt really positive. All this time, sorry, as well, I was heavily bleeding. I couldn't really go out and do anything because it was literally just soaking through. But I was still having symptoms. It was still there. But I thought, oh, it must be just because my body's recovering now from everything. Um, so after that surgery, they told me to come out to go back a couple of weeks after for another scan. And it was still there. So I ended up having a total hysterectomy. So that was the last thing that obviously they could do. They tried everything else. And obviously we're very, very blessed that we've got Lyle and Kauai. But it wasn't our plan to stop extending our family any further. Obviously we did have eight embryos remaining. And we were at some point going to go back for another transfer. I didn't think I could get any more infertile than not being there to have a child for own genetics. And then they go and chuck something else oh. in, the, in the mix for me. Um, oh my good I just uh, obviously I'm not laughing at you I think I'm just laughing because this just isn't fair yeah no so yeah it was a hell of a time we did discuss Mm -hmm. surrogacy but for me personally already having obviously another woman involved with the donor element so to bring another woman in the mix I just don't think I would have coped very well at all I did want to ask you what you decided to do with the embryos because obviously you weren't planning on having the hysterectomy and you had the embryos there in the freezer waiting. So you decided that surrogacy wouldn't be the right route for you for lots of reasons, which I totally understand. Emotionally, there's been a lot of trauma here. But have you been affected physically after the hysterectomy? So the recovery obviously took a long time. I had to fly in quite in January 2022. I didn't get discharged from hospital until September 2022. Oh my goodness. So I have been discharged. I have to have yearly checkups for my kidneys. Obviously, I've gone from being menopausal to postmenopausal overnight. I think because I'm younger and my recovery hasn't been too bad from the hysterectomy. I think it was two weeks until I was allowed to hold my and Kwai, um, which was really hard, obviously, not being able to hold your little babies at all. Like, even though I was ill the eight months in the lead up to my hysterectomy, I could still hold them, have my lap, cuddle them. Um, but with the hysterectomy, I wasn't able to do that. And I wasn't going to risk doing anything and then ended up back in hospital again because I think of my luck, that would have probably happened. So, uh... <laughs> But now I, I feel like I'm recovered. My body's completely different to how it was. The hysterectomy definitely changed my body. I loved my body more than I ever have whilst I was pregnant. And even after pregnancy, I loved my body. Mm. Since the hysterectomy, my shape's completely changed, yep. which I've struggled with. Yeah, it's your body and your mental health has been through just so much. If you could give any advice to other people going through a similar journey, what advice would you give to others? Your emotions will change over time. So I think that's people's biggest concern that they're never going to get over it. They're never going to be able to not think about it. So just let yourself feel how you feel in each stage and it will evolve. You're not going to feel that way forever. And all your feelings are valid. Just allow yourself to feel how you feel. I know when people are in it, it feels like you're stuck in it forever. And I think it's really reassuring for people to know that those kind of intense feelings when you're in it will pass and, and your life will become what your life is. I still struggle with a lot of elements of it. And I think but you learn how to deal with it. For example, pregnancy announcements, I hate them. Still to this day, I hate them. <laughs> and they still really, really trigger me. However you feel, you're not a bad person. And especially with like donor conception, when you get to the other side, don't put pressure on yourself. I think at the beginning, when Malaya and Kwai were babies, like newborns, I questioned everything. 
like do I feel this way because we don't have a genetic connection genetics don't make you bond it's the love you have for that child and what they have for you that makes you bond honestly you're such an inspiration to people you've given us so much information your whole story and just the fact that you've just kept going everything you've been through for people that would like to know more about your journey where can people find you so we are on instagram it's the life with the brown family tia thank you so much for coming on the show we will direct everybody over to your socials and for anybody that's coming to uh, the fertility show live this year tia will be there she is one of the fertility show ambassadors roshan and i will also be there as well um so if anyone's thinking of coming to the fertility show do come on down and hopefully we can all support you as best we can so thank you tia for coming on the show thank you for having me maria what an incredible woman Absolutely. I mean, she really is such an inspiration to the fertility community. It's the strangest thing, but when I was listening to her, I started feeling myself get quite angry. Angry? We don't normally have you feeling angry, Roisin, on the podcast. Why were you angry? I know, it's a weird one. I think it was just cumulative. Firstly, she phones the receptionist and gets the, you've got no chance of conception. Then because of her AMH levels, she didn't qualify. And when she did have her twins, they kept on sending her home with pieces of placenta in her body. And I think it got to the point where I started getting a bit angry on her behalf. I just thought this this woman's doing the best that she can do. And it just seems to be relentless. And the other thing is, Once she'd actually got to the point of having her twins, she was managing all these really serious health issues with newborn babies in the house. You know, you're supposed to be in the newborn bubble. You're supposed to just be having these lovely snuggles on the sofa. Really, a lot of that was taken away from her because she was just so pearly and in and out of hospital all the time. It's really, it's really upsetting, actually. I can see why you're angry, Roisin. I get it. I'm also delighted for her. And... If there is a picture in the dictionary under resilience, it's Tia Brown. It absolutely is Tia Brown. And it just shows you what the human spirit can do. Absolutely incredible. So, Maria, what will we be talking about next week? In next week's focus, we will be discussing five key signs that you need to look out for when you are trying to conceive. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. Remember to subscribe to get a shiny new episode each week. And please rate, comment and really importantly share with your friends, especially our trying to conceive sisters. You never know who's struggling and they may need that little bit of extra help. This may come as a surprise, but we are not doctors. We strongly recommend you consult with your doctor before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. Get everything checked out first. Your safety is our priority. This has been a Worth a Listen production.